0: All right. If you have your Bibles this morning, you can turn in them. We're going to be in Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. Two weeks from now, we'll be wrapping up our fall-long series in the book of Mark entitled Jesus 101. Now, if you look down in your bulletin today, you have a sermon title that says "The Cult to the Crowd and the King." Well, I learned as I came in this morning that I need to work on my annunciation, because it should read "The Cult, the Crowd." And the king. Uh, some of you are like, he's going to talk about cults today? That's awesome. I'd like to know. what. What is that a cult down the street from me? They're weird. you know. So anyhow, uh, no, it, the cult in the crowd and the king. Well, I have to tell you, back in the month of March of this year, I made a mistake that I promised myself I would never make. It's confession time this morning. I am not perfect, as some of you have supposed. I made a mistake that... I am kicking myself for today. Something that I had told myself over and over again, Matthew, just don't do that. But I did. I put my hope and my expectations in the Cleveland Browns. (laughs) We had just traded for number 13. Baker Mayfield had just set the record for a rookie quarterback and How many touchdown passes he threw, and I made the mistake of believing. Well, you all know how this year is gone. You all know what happened last Thursday night. It's a perfect microcosm of the pure insanity that is being a Cleveland Browns fan. But isn't life full of disappointment? And if if disappointment had a picture in the dictionary, it would be an orange helmet. You know, it's funny, we put our hope and expectations in a lot of things. Some of you have some great hopes and expectations for Thanksgiving this week. You have big hopes and expectations for the holidays in general. And usually when it comes to hopes and expectations, we sort of fall into two very basic categories. Folks who are optimists and folks who are pessimists. The optimists, of course, are always hoping that the next thing will be better. Uh, my, my, My holiday will be better. My next car will be better. My marriage will get better. My, and we're, we're constantly putting our hope in the very next thing. And then pessimists have just decided that it's not even worth hoping in anything anymore. Let's just, let's just let it be. <laughs> because I, I, I've been disappointed too many times to count. And interestingly enough, Jesus walked into a situation, and I don't know that we've set this context to this point, to a very disappointed culture. He walked into a, 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 a world we know as Israel, who had been conquered very often, and who had even had regained autonomy from the years 150 B.C. to about uh, 60 B.C. under Jewish kings once more, but even that did not go well. Um, the Maccabees or the Hasmoneans, as you might notice, maybe you've heard the name Judas Maccabees, it, it didn't work out for them. Of course, the Romans had come, and by the time that Jesus had, had come to his time of ministry, the Romans were firmly entrenched as the overlords of Israel, and people were looking for their Messiah King, who would make all things right. It was not easy to be a ruled people, especially coming off just 100 years ago, having had autonomy. It's a thing in this life to be disappointed, and he comes to a very disappointed people, but interestingly enough, we're going to read a story today in spite of all their disappointments, in spite of all their hardship, of great joy, great hope, great expectation. And if we can get a hold of what needs to have that hope, have that expectation, have that joy attached to it, we can, in our lives, make sure we're putting that, those things in just the right place. And perhaps we will not be pessimists or optimists anymore. Maybe we'll be something so much better than either one. Let's read chapter 11 of Mark, verses 1 through 10. Now, when Jesus and his disciples drew near to Jerusalem, the road which led through Bethphage and Bethany, right up to the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, "'Go into the village ahead of you, "'and immediately as you enter it, "'you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat.'" Untie it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. So they went away, and they found the colt tied to a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying that colt? And they told them just what Jesus had said, and they let them go. So they brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they'd cut down from the field. And and those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the kingdom of our father David! Hosanna in the highest! And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. This moment is a big deal. And how do we know that it's a big deal? One, we know it's a big deal... Because even though the four Gospels all paint a different picture of Jesus, they all had reasons for writing and remembering certain stories about what Jesus did. John puts it that Jesus did so many things, all the books in the world couldn't contain all of the things. But but they all four have this story, all four have this story of Jesus entering Jerusalem with these crowds shouting and going nuts as Jesus rides on this colt. All four of them have this, but, but in terms of the book of Mark, we are reaching the crescendo. We are reaching the most important moment. Jesus had turned his attention, set his face to going to Jerusalem, the center of the world, the big time city, the city of David, the greatest king the Israelites had known. Jesus is making his way there for a purpose And not only is Jerusalem a very important city because it was the city of David and the capital of Israel, but Jerusalem was an incredibly important city because the temple was there, the place where the Jewish people, or at least the site that the Jewish people had been worshiping God at for a thousand years. And here comes this miracle-working, awesome preaching, compassionate, loving prophet down the road of Bethany and Bethphage on his way to Jerusalem. It's a great, big, huge, important moment in the ministry of Jesus, and we have one other reason to believe. It's a hugely important moment. Jesus is creating his own press here. Jesus is creating this scene. Like most of the time in the book of Mark, uh, Jesus doesn't have to create a scene. The scene comes to him. Like he's, he's preaching, and somebody unroofed the roof, Right? He's he's out there, and a leper starts screaming at him. His disciples were coming to him, going, Hey, everybody's hungry. Jesus has the scene foisted upon him. Not here. Jesus is very intentional about what he's about to do. In fact, there are 10 verses dedicated to this story, and six of them are dedicated to what Jesus is trying to do through this noble steed. What a noble beast! I mean, you want to ride it right now, don't you? If we had one in the parking lot, you'd say, yes, get me a donkey for me to ride. What is going on here? This is a big moment, and it centers around that. Now, I doubt that that's a cult that's never been written on. (laughs) It's the best picture I could find on Wiki Commons. But anyhow, we have a donkey. What's going on here? there's a couple different things, and this is why there's a lot attached to this cult. This is why the crowd is in a frenzy. This is why Jesus is making this happen. And I want to tell you four things that make this cult important. The first thing is, Jesus says, get a cult that's never been ridden on before. This is a special cult. This is a, and a cult is just, it's just the young male of a donkey that that that, that's young that hasn't been ridden on jesus said i need one that's never been ridden on never been used for a common purpose never been used down the field never had a pack on its back get me a colt that is set apart now that would have mattered to his disciples because they were jewish and in the jewish mindset if you got something that was set apart that means it was holy jesus says go get me a holy donkey Now, we don't understand this in in English because we think holy is like righteous, good, holier than thou, but in the the Hebrew world, something that was set apart for the service to God, that is something that was holy or set apart. Jesus says, I need a set-apart donkey. That's what I need. Get me the holy donkey. Sort of like you would say, don't use my toothbrush. That's my toothbrush. We don't have a lot of things that are set apart for our use, but Jesus is saying, I need one that, that is just for me. Does Jesus ever act this pretentious at any other place in the Bible? I mean, you don't see Jesus like, yeah, get me a holy cloak. That's my holy bread. He doesn't act that way, but this donkey has to be just for him. But why? Well, all the way back in Genesis chapter 49... There's a guy named Jacob. Do you remember the the, the fathers of the Jewish people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Jacob is blessing his sons, one of which was Joseph and his amazing technicolor dream coat. Joseph is blessing his 12 sons. They become the 12 tribes of Israel, and he looks at his son Judah, and he says, Judah, the the scepter is not going to depart from you. In essence, he's saying, Judah, you are going to be, or your line is, is going to produce kings, And interestingly enough, way back in Genesis 49, it says that the ride of the king is going to be a cult. Way back in Genesis 49. But a little bit more on the nose, if we fast forward all the way to Zechariah chapter 9-9, one of the minor prophets. If you can find Zechariah in under three minutes, we have a candy cane waiting for you in the hall. But if you can, Zechariah 9-9 was prophesying about the king who was to come. The Messiah himself, the one that was coming to make all things right. And this is what it says in Zechariah chapter 9, 9. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So this expectation that this king that's going to come, that's going to make all things right, full of righteousness, full of salvation, going to change things forever, he's going to ride into Jerusalem on a colt. Do you see why Jesus is being so intentional about get me the holy donkey? He wants one that's never been written on, that's just for the Lord, that he is going to ride into Jerusalem. He's got a big crowd around him, and and they're they're making their way into the most important moment in in the history of the world, and he says, right now I am choosing to declare who I am. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. I am the King that you've been waiting for, people of Israel. I am the one that you're expecting. Put your hope in me. Categorically, if Jesus is going to do something that looks so outside of the realm of Jesus, which which is just get me a get me a holy donkey, let's let's do grand theft donkey Jesus style. Let let's go ahead and, and 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 create this scene. He's creating this scene for a purpose, and it's to tell everybody who's watching, put your hope, your expectations in me, and it's not lost on the crowd. Now, Mark doesn't take a lot of time to give us a ton of details, but, but, but John tells us that this crowd was growing huge. As Jesus was doing miracle after miracle after miracle on his way to Jerusalem, the crowd was growing and growing and growing. In fact, we find out from another gospel that the leadership in Jerusalem said the whole world's going after Jesus. A big crowd is coming around him, all right? So, so the cult's important, but the crowd's important too. The crowd is is welcoming this Messiah King into Israel. And what do they do with their cloaks? Jesus kindly gets this donkey, and they throw their cloaks over the donkey for Jesus to sit on. I hate when people sit on my coat. Yuck. Get your backside off my coat. They are inviting the Lord to put the holy backside on their coat. All right? I'm in trouble with the Lord for saying holy backside. He'll deal with me later. But go ahead and sit on my coat, they're saying to Jesus. You don't do that for just anybody. But then it gets even weirder. They take off their coats and throw them on the ground, not for Jesus to walk on, but for this noble steed to walk on. They are not letting the donkey that is holding the king walk on their coat. They must have been putting a fair level of hope and expectation in this guy, wouldn't you imagine? If you're going to let the king's donkey step on your coat, you must think that he's a pretty impressive fella. And what are they shouting? Hosanna, which means save us, by the way, in the Hebrew. Save us. Hoshi well, and I'm not even going to try to say the Hebrew. It would make me look dumber. But anyhow... Save us, Lord. Hosanna, save us, Lord. And, 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 and glory or Hosanna to God in the highest. Now, now this is not surprising, okay? This is not surprising because the Jews would make pilgrimages to, Israel, to Jerusalem. They'd go to the holy city for their three main festivals, one, one of which they're going for, which is Passover. They, they would go up to the city and they would say this, what's, what came to be known as the Psalms of Ascent, the Hallels hallelujah, the hallels. They were ascending, and we we sing hallelujah, we're saying be lifted high, God. They were ascending, hallel, up to the city, okay? And they would say a bunch of these different psalms, and one of the psalms that they would say is found in Psalm 118, 26 and 27. It'll come up on the screen for you here. It says in Psalm 118, or 25 and 26, save us, we pray, that's hoshiana, that's, that's hosanna. Hosanna, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Are you seeing that? So, so that's that's one of the psalms of ascent that they would say. But there's something they add. Look down in your Bibles. Keep, let's keep this up on the screen, Tina. You look down in your Bibles. They add something to their Psalm of Ascent. What do they add? Blessed is the coming kingdom of our Father David. What does this mean? This means that the crowd gets it, that Jesus is the king who is coming. At least they're declaring it that day. They're declaring, you are the salvation guy. You are the righteous one. You are the one that we've been looking for. Way back in 2 Samuel, God told King David, one day someone's going to come from your line that reigns forever. They were looking for this Messiah, this Savior, this anointed one. And when they see Jesus, not only do they sing the psalm of ascent, not only do they say, blessed is he who comes in the anointing of the Lord, they say, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. They're putting their hope and expectation in him. Now the real question is, well, why would this matter to us? Somewhere in the 90th percentile, folks in this place are not Jewish. This is a very Jewish Messiah thing that Jesus is doing. Messiah is a Jewish word, meaning anointed one. This is a very sort of prophetic fulfillment that God is doing here that would have made sense to the Jewish people, but unless Pastor Matt gets up here and explains it, most of us go, all right, people liked him. But Jesus is declaring something firmly in that day put your hope and expectations in me, and they're saying, we are putting our hope and expectations in you, but why should you or I care? Why does it matter to us? So the Jews got their king, right? Well, I'll tell you why it matters. It matters because the crowd is convinced that Jesus is coming for one thing, but Jesus has already declared he's coming to Jerusalem for another Turn back one page in your Bibles as Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. Mark 10, chapter 45, Jesus tells us why the king is coming to Jerusalem. What does it say? But even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to do what in Jerusalem? Give his life as a ransom for many. You see, the king was not coming to assert his authority And kick out the Romans in fact the king wasn't even coming to Jerusalem to be a good president he was not going to come and lower our taxes work on infrastructure give us a better standard of living create more jobs you know that's what people want from a king isn't it that's what people want from a ruler they want from a leader they want somebody that's going to to increase the standard of living better my life, O leader one. That's what they're declaring to Jesus that day, but there's a difference between what they declare and what Jesus has been preaching. Did you catch it? They declare, blessed is the coming of our, the kingdom of our father, David. But what kingdom had Jesus been preaching about? The kingdom of God. Jesus is declaring to them in, throughout his entire ministry, don't not put your expectations in me. Put your hope in me. Put your expectations in me. Put your desires for fulfillment in me. But you need to raise your expectations. You want some nationalistic kingdom? I've got something better. Now I want you to do something for me. The kids are out of here, so theoretically you can do this, okay? I want you to do something for me. Don't say it out loud. We'll get in fistfights, okay? Don't say it out loud. Think about your favorite president in your lifetime. Just think about that. Think about that. I'm not going to make any political jokes. Just think about that for just a minute. All right. Now I want you to answer this question. Under that president, did your standard of living get better? Just think about that for a minute. Some of you are thinking, yeah, Did people stop dying under that president? Did you stop sinning under that president? Did people stop sinning against you under that president? Perhaps your paycheck was bigger. Perhaps some of the social issues you care about were legislated the way you wanted them to be. But did anybody take care of our common enemy? Did anyone look to do something about the most nefarious thing that's going on in all of our lives? The fact that we as human beings are enslaved to sin and to death. Could any of them touch what really matters? Did someone you love die during that presidency? Somebody hurt you? Did you make a mistake that has lasting consequences? It's interesting, isn't it? That, that, that they are looking for the coming kingdom of their father, David. They're looking for stuff. But Jesus has come to ransom them from sin and death. And he says, put your expectations on me. And you might say, Pastor Matt, I don't quite understand this. Because I, I'm getting this vibe when I come to church that if I trust Jesus with my life and I give my life to him, that just like him I'll be resurrected one day and I'll be resurrected to life eternal. I'm getting the death part. I'm getting that, Pastor Matt. I'm I'm beginning to see that. I'm beginning to see why Jesus had to die in my place. I'm beginning to see why he needed to be resurrected so that I could have hope of being resurrected too. I'm beginning to get that, but what about sin? What about the wrongs that I do and the wrongs done to me? Why would I put my hope in Jesus for that now? People will still wrong me. I'll still mess up. The people closest to me will still disappoint me. The the, 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 the people around me will still disappoint me. The government will disappoint me. My coworkers will disappoint me. And even scarier is I'll probably disappoint them. I'll disappoint my adult children. Or they're disappointing me right now. Can Jesus do anything about that? And the answer is emphatically yes. Because when you come to Christ in fullness of heart, you start putting your expectations for what life should be and what life is all about in the one who created you to put your life in his hands. And the disappointments both done to you and done by you in light of who Christ is and what he is calling you to will begin to fade. And the purpose for which you were created and the God for whom you were created to serve will begin to rush in like a flood into your life in such a way that whatever you face in this life pales in comparison to the glory of living in the light of the one who has saved you. Yes, Jesus has done something for our eternity. Yes, he has done something to to save us from our ultimate enemy, which is death. He is the king that we have needed but he wants to step into your right now and saying, what are you putting your hope in today? What are you expecting today? Because if you are putting your hope and your expectations in some form of family or the American dream, or, or, or finances. If you're putting your hope and your expectations in your workplace, your job, your coworkers, your na- if you're putting your expectations there, they are in the wrong place. All you want is a new president. You don't want a God. That's what he's saying to us today. We can look at God and say, "Blessed is the kingdom." of our father David, come and better my quality of life. Or we can look to the God who created us and say, why am I here? What am I to be doing? Because in you and in your presence is fullness of joy. Yes, I will not be perfect from the day that I put my hope and expectations in you, and certainly people will not be perfect towards me, but I will be living my life not in desire to see people please me, nor will I be living my life in a place where I am desperate to please others, but I will be living my life in a place where knowing that I am in your will pleases me. And knowing that if I please you, I will have a great effect on others. Jesus is looking at us today and he's saying, raise your expectations. Set your eyes, your hopes, your dreams, not on if the people around you will shape up and make things better for you. Place your hopes and expectations and dreams in the kingdom of God that came when Jesus' feet Touched this earth. And that's why we begin each one of our prayers daily not with, My Father who is in heaven, better my life today, but My Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come and your will be done. And as we see that kingdom of God come in our lives and we see God begin to work and move and do what only the way-making, miracle-working, promise-keeping, light-in-the-darkness God can do, when we begin to see that, rather than put our hope and expectations in people, Things will change, joy will result, and we realize for the first time in our lives, my hope and expectations are right where they were always meant to be. Where's your hope and expectation today? Is it in God or for your circumstances to change? Is it in God or that you'll be able to be that self-sufficient person who doesn't need anything from anybody and will remain pessimistic the rest of In this life there are three types of people not two there are optimists and there are pessimists and there's those who hope in the lord let us be the third because there lies true hope and true joy and a god who will not disappoint would you bow your heads everyone in this place i ask that you would bow your heads christian non-christian it's just a sign of respect to the people praying around you And very quickly and quietly, I'm going to ask a few of our prayer team to step up to this platform area. And if you are here right in this place today and you have been putting your expectations in people and circumstances, the next great holiday, the next great restoration, the next great job, the next great circumstance that I need to happen for me and my standard of living I want to tell you today, there is a higher plane for you to be living on. God wants you to put your full hope and expectation in him. That's the only way things change. And some of you today, you're coming into this place and you're feeling a little bit down. You're feeling a little bit broken. You're feeling as if, boy, I need someone to step into my life and change things. I only know one person who can do that. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And you need to pray to him today and begin to set your hope and expectations in him. If God's speaking to your heart today, I don't want you to try to muster that. I don't want you to try to build that in yourself. We have trusted men and women across the front here who would love to pray for you so that you can begin to put your hope in God again, that he can lift your eyes and put your expectations fully in him. If you'd like somebody to pray for you in that vein right now, would you come and pray right in this moment? Right in this moment. Come and have somebody pray for you today. God said my house is to be a house of prayer. Let's make that true in our midst today. God, I have been thinking about anything but you and your kingdom and putting my hope in that. And it's not resulting in joy. It's resulting in disappointment. If that's you today, come. If you're dreading the holidays because things aren't as they should be, this is the time to come and pray. If you're worried that your life is spun out of control because you've just been doing things your way, This is a time to come and pray. Don't miss an opportunity to be prayed for today. If your heart needs readjustment, God would love to speak to you in this place. AJ's gonna play. We're gonna make this a house of prayer. And I just would have you ask this question. Lord, is my hope and expectation in you? And if not, help me to put it back where it belongs. in that I will not be disappointed. Yes, it you bow your heads once more with me? I just feel to do this this morning we're still great on time. I think there's maybe at least a person here today, maybe more than one. And you live your life today and your hopes aren't in other people. You're not going to do that. You've set your hope fully on you. Your own strength, your own smarts, your own wisdom, you're not going to trust, you're not going to need from. But God is speaking to your heart today. And he's telling you, stop running from me. You're not to trust in yourself, your own power, your own strength for one more moment. You are my son. You are my daughter. I created you. I formed you in your inmost being for my good purpose. And you need to put your life in my hands today and not wait for one more moment. With every head bowed and every eye closed in this place, if God's speaking to your heart today, that today is the moment to stop trusting in you and start trusting fully in him I just like you to stand right where you're at and declare that to God be bold today that's right that's right that's right that's right praise God praise God praise God Prayer team, go put a hand on a shoulder. You're going to join me in prayer over these folks today. Quickly, please. I'm going to put my full hope today. There's others that have stood. Prayer team, if you'll go pray with somebody right now, I'm putting my full hope and trust in you. the best, best decision you could ever make, whether it's the first time or the 50th. Put your hope and your faith and your trust in him. I'm not going to trust in me any longer. Heads bowed, eyes closed. This is not a spectator sport. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to be respectful to those who are have humble hearts before God this morning. I want to pray over you. Heavenly Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters today. God, it is a lonely thing To try to be self-sufficient it's a lonely thing to just try to do life on our own it's a lonely thing to put our hope and our trust in our own strength our own wisdom our own might our own finances it's a lonely thing god i pray that you would come sweeping into the lives of your children today i pray that your holy spirit would move right into their heart right now may they feel your presence in this moment that they are not alone have a good hope and a good purpose for their life they are not on their own but but their hope and expectation is to be in you sweep in lord jesus touch their hearts right now remind them lord of just who you are and how much you love them that you died for them that you rose again that they might have a hope for eternal life remind them today lord god we praise you for this we honor you for this we trust you for this Lord, that from this day forward, they would never again put their hope in themselves or people or a better circumstance, but fully put their hope in Christ, set their eyes fully on the Lord Jesus, their king, their king, their king. You are the one, Lord, that we put our hope and our trust in. You are the one that we look forward to, Lord, when we rise in the morning. You are the one that we trust when we lay our heads down and sleep in peace. You, Lord, are our King who has overcome sin and death and hell on our behalf. We trust you, we love you, and we put our hope in